how can I present my life to the Lord as a living sacrifice? That's been the simplest question we're trying to answer that each one of us needs to have an answer to. Not just as a congregation, but as a person. As a family, we want to be able to answer this question and put something concrete to what the Lord's been doing, something to pursue in 2020. So we gave you a card in the beginning. We have more of them on your chair. It's just a little index card that says Living Sacrifice. And at the end of our message today, uh, we're going to have some extended time to respond to the Lord and really give something over to Him. So as we take communion, you're going to write down on that card how the Lord's been working and what exactly you think He's leading for you to offer to your life as a living sacrifice this year. And then we're going to come basically put it at the altar in some baskets and just have a moment where we're intentionally trying to put feet to our faith. We're trying to really implement what we say we believe. And this does not mean that you have to get it exactly right and the Lord can't clarify something else next week. And you're like, well, I already committed to the other thing, so I can't offer this thing. No, let's just go with what the Lord's leading, how he's been leading these last 14 days, how he leads today. I think today's going to be really helpful because Romans 12 ends with 25 commandments to live out. 25. And so it gives us some real practical things for us to pursue as we do this. So this is going to be helpful. And I want you guys to really listen up as we read the text and as we preach through it. Obviously, not all 25 things are necessarily something you need to go and try to figure out today. But the Lord might be leading something particular for you. Maybe one thing, maybe two things, maybe three things, but it's something particular for you, something that you're supposed to listen to and obey and apply right away. And so I know that's how the Lord works. One of these things, two of these things, three of these things should stand out to you, and it should help you think, okay, how can I go try to apply this and live this out on a daily basis? Also, before we jump into this text, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more at the end as well, we just want to clarify, once again, especially for everybody that's used to practicing uh, some form of religion and doing things, and then for those of you who may not even be sure what Christianity is all about, Christianity is not primarily about what you do, but what's already been done. So as we talk about things to do, this is not things to do to earn God's favor, to earn God's blessing, to get into heaven. That's not how it works. The way we get into heaven is trusting in what Jesus has already done. His life, death, and resurrection for us. Jesus has lived perfectly for you because you cannot and I cannot. He's already done that. He died a death that we deserve so we wouldn't have to for our sins. He rose again from the dead by the Spirit's power, a power that we don't have on our own apart from God's help. And all that is accessible to us through faith and trust in Jesus. And you repent from your sins and you trust in Jesus. And out of a relationship with Jesus, filled with what we call the Holy Spirit, what the Bible teaches us you get when you believe in Jesus, then you go do and you live a life God calls you to live. So this is very different from I got 25 things to do to make God happy. I got 25 things to do to get into heaven. I got 25 burdens to add to my checklist. Okay, this is very important for us to say, no, gospel, Jesus does all the work. I trust in Him, and now I'm simply joining Him in what He's already doing in my life. I say yes to something Jesus is already working on and wants to see. And I'm joining Him in that because I want to become more like Jesus, and I want to be useful in the world because I love Him. Okay? Everybody get the difference? Okay, so this is very important. So just keep letting that sink in uh, if you're not sure about it. So Romans 12, 9 through 21, why don't you read along with me? And go ahead and listen for how the Lord might be leading you. Number nine, verse nine, number one. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. 
Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you take a minute to pray with me? Let's just ask the Lord for help with these things. Father, we just come before you, and we ask that you would empower us by your Spirit, Lord, to actually live this kind of life, to live the life that we were designed to live from the beginning, to live the life that Jesus lived perfectly, Lord, to follow our Savior in his footsteps. And I pray that as we do that and pursue that, you would keep us from checking things off a box or finding our righteousness in our behavior, or thinking we're making you happier. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we would be gospel-centered, knowing that you already did all the work, and that we would pursue you with zeal and energy and effort on top of that, God. So just give us wisdom, help these things to apply in the life of our congregation. I pray that our congregation would be exemplified by these 25 realities and commandments, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Okay, so what this passage teaches us overall is that we offer up our lives as a living sacrifice every day in every way. Every day in every way. Turn to your neighbor and say, every day. Every day. So, no, every day. Every day. Okay, say it with some attitudes. Every day. We, every day in every way. So what we're trying to get at in this text is there's some level in which offering your life as a living sacrifice might be one big decision. It might be one moment of something. But for the most part, it's going to be little decisions every day. Little decisions every day in every conceivable way with all different kinds of people that aren't directly connected to maybe some inspirational speech you might have gotten before, but have to come out of your personal relationship with Jesus. That if you're going to offer your life as a living sacrifice, you need to be thinking about primarily how can I live like Jesus every day in every way. And as I pursue holiness every day in every way, I will have lived a life of sacrifice to the Lord. In some ways, it might be unnoticeable until years and years on end. It might not be able to see the progression. It's like when you have kids and they're growing up, you're with them every day. And so you don't notice how big they've gotten until somebody that you haven't seen in a year comes and looks at you and says, wow, your kid really grew. And I'm like, when? I didn't see that. And that's what happens with our faith in Jesus is every day we're living these things out and over time they become evident. And so if we're the type of people that need immediate satisfaction or gratification or results for us to be able to pursue something, we're not going to be very faithful in following Jesus. Because if I need something right now to give me a little ping based off my behavior 10 minutes ago, that's not how the Christian life is going to work. We need to know how God's working, know what it looks like for us to live this out every day in every way. 
So our phrase today is no one in neutral. Turn to your neighbor and say no one in neutral. No one in neutral. No one in neutral. You cannot, this is obvious, all right, I'm going to let you know, you cannot move forward in neutral. The only way to do that is to get behind the car and push it, and you can't do that uphill. It doesn't work. You cannot move forward in neutral. You need to switch gears. And some of you, that's the simple phrase for you today, is you just need to switch gears. You need to switch gears, and you've been in neutral, and you've been coasting, and the Lord is telling you today, switch gears. So the last two weeks, I've had an object lesson, and today, uh, if we had the capability to bring a stick shift in here, and I would be burned, I could do that, because I can drive a stick, right? That's the first car I learned to drive, was a stick shift, all right? I think it was a part of being a, being a real man, all right? So that, that was it from the beginning. Sorry, just kidding. That's a joke. I, I drive all automatics now, okay? So, uh, but you have to to be able to move forward no one in neutral now for us the real thing that we understand is you can't go backwards reverse is what we're used to being bad reverse is bad you don't want to go backwards you don't want to go in your old habits old way of life you don't want to work backwards we know that to be bad but neutral sometimes neutral can look just fine sometimes neutral can look just fine I'm going to give you an example. So my, my old, uh, it was like a 2000 Toyota Camry. I got this car in college. It lasted a very long time. It had 200 something thousand miles on it. Eventually, one day, the transmission went out, and the car would only drive backwards. That's literally the only thing it could do. It couldn't go forward. I don't know how cars work, but that was the deal. You couldn't go forward. You could only drive backwards. So we were at my townhouse, which, thank the Lord, was like a two-second drive from a BP service station right down the road. So one day I was like, well, I'll just get it there, okay? So I got in the car, and I drove backwards all the way through my neighborhood and to the service station, and I pulled in backwards and ended up at the service station, and I would look at left and right, and this is the neighborhood, and people are like, what are you doing, you know? They're looking at me like, this is strange. I don't understand why you're driving backwards, and they're just watching me the whole way, you know, expecting me to get in the car wreck, but I got skills, so I was just navigating that. You know, I was just fine. We got there backwards. And what I, what I want to point out to you is how obvious that is to everybody that something's wrong. But if my car was in neutral and just sitting there because it wasn't on a hill or anything, people wouldn't know anything was up. They wouldn't recognize it based off the movement. And so I want you to see that we're so used to things being backwards. That's bad. I recognize backwards is bad. I don't want to go in reverse. Old habits, old ways, whatever. But what I want to come ask you today is that neutral is just as bad, and the Lord wants us to be forward-thinking, forward-moving, always progressing in our life with Him. No one in neutral. No one just saying. No one just coasting. So there's 25 commands in 13 verses. You can preach a whole sermon on each of them, and I won't do that to you today. Uh, two words that I want you to see are just take action. You should write that down over your Romans 12 in your Bible or in your notebook. Just take action. Those are the two words for us today. Take action. To offer our life as a living sacrifice to the Lord, it's going to require real action. It's going to require real decisions, not thoughts, not ideas, not good feelings. It's going to require real action. We're going to have to move forward to give, to pursue, to help, to serve, to live the life God has called us to live every day in every way. So two summary points we're going to see are these. You can write these down. Number one, real love takes action. And number two, real humility is powerful. 
Those are going to be the headers. So what we're going to do with those two headers is work our way in and through the scriptures, and we're going to work on each thing. So we got 25 things to go through. We're going to boom, 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 get through some of those, and we're going to think about it in these two big categories, real love takes action, which is going to be verses 9 through 13, and real humility is powerful, verses 14 through 21. So, remember, think, think, listen to what the Lord might be leading to you in your particular season of life, how these commands might help you take action and live the life God's called you to live as a living sacrifice to Him. So, real love takes action. Number one, let love be genuine. You see that in verse 9, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. It says, abhor what is evil and hate what is good. So the idea for us is that love must be pure and from the heart without hypocrisy and deception. We want to be a people of genuine, real love. Not hypocritical, not saying one thing and doing another, feeling one thing and being another. A people of genuine love. Now the question for you needs to be, well, what does genuine love actually look like? What does that feel like? What should I expect? And we need to go through this because our culture's definition of love is very bad. <coughs> the way that culture defines love as complete approval of whatever anybody may be or do or want to be and do is not good. The way our culture thinks about love as primarily erotic and sexual is not healthy. The way our culture talks about love as feelings-based, and when those feelings go, you can decommit, is unhealthy. So every day you're being taught 24-7 from the world around you what love is and means. And you might have come to certain conclusions about that without even intentionally doing so. And because you've been fed so much, remember our first week, what you soak in will sink in. What sinks in will seep through. So whatever you're soaking in is that's what you're going to become. So you have this definition of love coming over and over and over again to us. And then we get tricked up and we think, well, if God is love, he couldn't be this because my definition of love is this. And now everybody's confused, yourself included. So I want to get you uh, some biblical ideas on what real love is. So we're going to do that from the text. Genuine love, let love be genuine. Well, what does that look like? The first two things are this. Genuine love will abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Verse 9. Genuine love will hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. A general way to say this is genuine love has a moral compass. Genuine love is based off truth, not feelings. Genuine love is a matter of righteousness. It's a matter of rightness with the Lord. Genuine love has right and wrong. Look, genuine love has a facet in it that hates. And you can't genuinely love without this right facet that hates what is evil. You can't say you love something good while something evil is destroying that and love the evil thing as well. That would make no sense. And so we see from this scripture that genuine love has a moral compass. It must require that we hate what is evil. And sometimes we get so twisted because we have bad definitions of what's evil. Once again, we're discipled by the world. We don't, we don't understand, biblically speaking, what God thinks is right and wrong sometimes. And so therefore, we call evil good and good evil. And throughout the scriptures, that's one of the main things he'll say to his people is you call good what I have called evil and you call evil what I have called good. And that's why people go astray. So genuine love will hate what is evil and it will hold fast to what is good. It's not neutral, right? You don't hold fast to something on accident. 
You don't grip it by accident. You don't hold on to it by accident, right? I don't hold fast to my kid's hand as we cross a busy street by accident. It's something that I'm doing intentionally. You want to hold fast to what is good. So genuine love takes action. It hates what is evil. It holds fast to what is good. It has a moral compass. It's based off truth, not feeling. Okay, number four and five. Genuine love will love with a brotherly affection, and genuine love will seek to outdo one another in showing honor. I like this as well. It's something I always try to work on. Genuine love expresses affection. All right? And I always tell people I love to hug my kids and my wife and my, my, my parents and, you know, a few people like that. But I'm not the biggest hugger. And, yeah, I've been working on that. I hugged some. I hugged, like, probably 20 people today. I'm very proud of myself. And genuine love, though, expresses appropriate, hey, let's be clear, appropriate brotherly affection. Genuine love expresses itself. It's not cold. You can't love genuinely and come across cold. Genuine love expresses brotherly, familial affection. It gives that to one another. We show up in our gathering and we treat each other like family. So glad to see you, man. How are you doing? Let me see how you're doing. Let me give you whatever appropriate affection might be good in your relationship. We treat each other with affection. We express affection. Love is not cold. And here's the second one. Love is not lazy. Genuine love is not cold, and genuine love is not lazy. We outdo one another in showing honor. Now, I'm pretty sure this is the only time in the scripture where the, where it's the, the writer tells us to compete with each other. Because the Bible is all about unity. Don't be divisive. Be unified. Be together. Be harmonious. Be one. And now he says, I want you to compete. I want you to outdo one another. I love that phrase. You should underline it, circle it, outdo one another. The idea being that I'll be darned if you show me more honor than I show you. That's not going to happen. No way. No way. That I will do everything I can to give honor. And if you're giving honor, I'm going to one-up that one. And I'm going to give more honor. And then you're going to give more honor, and I'm going to give more honor. And we're annoyingly giving each other so much honor. It's like, what's going on here? This is so different in the Christian way of thinking. Normally, people compete to get honor. What Competitions exist to get honor. But the Christian competes to give honor. How do I live my life as a sacrifice to the Lord? I don't come into a gathering and seek to receive honor. I think, how can I give honor away? And I'm zealous to do it. I compete. And the same energy I would give to be a good basketball player, a good cheerleader, a good whatever, is the energy I would give to this. I compete. A Christian seeks to give honor away. Most people compete to receive glory, but a Christian competes to give it away. Most people compete to get attention, but a Christian competes to give it away. So here's a question for you is what are you competing for? What are you trying to get? When you show up in a gathering like this, what is your goal and your aim? Let's be a people who outdo one another in showing honor and who express appropriate but genuine affection. So genuine love abhors what is evil, holds fast to what is good, and loves with brotherly affection, and it outdoes others in showing honor. Genuine love is, number six and seven in the commands, not slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Genuine love is not slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Genuine love is energized by the Holy Spirit. Genuine love does nothing halfway. So my kids have this book that we read to them at night. It's called Halfway Herbert. 
Anybody with parents have that book? No. Okay, great. Well, that's strange. All right, so, well, I'm strange, I guess. Halfway Herbert is the name of the book. It was actually written by Francis Chan, this little kid book. Uh, and it's about how we ought not to do anything halfway. So halfway Herbert just brushes the bottom of his teeth, right? So his top teeth have cavities. He just ties one of his shoes, so he trips over the other one. Halfway Herbert is always doing things halfway. And then the lesson is when the Holy Spirit comes, he empowers us to give our full selves to our thing, to our task, namely to the Lord. So for us to say to be zealous means that I don't do anything halfway. But here's the caveat. I don't do it halfway, not because I'm awesome or strong or doing things harder, but because I'm fervent in the Spirit. I don't do it halfway because I'm energized by the Spirit. I'm energized by someone who doesn't even know how to do anything halfway. I have the energy of the Spirit. So, if I rely on myself to show up Sunday morning, as some of our many faithful people do, and like set up things and break things down, and if I want to do that full speed ahead, I cannot rely on my discipline or abilities to do that. I'm a human, and I will eventually default to doing something halfway or a third of the way. Right? I'll run the sprint half as hard, especially when no one's looking. And so to be able to live a life that's full out, get pedal to the metal for the Lord, that doesn't lead you into bad places of burnout or self-righteousness, is to be fervent in the Spirit, is to depend on the Spirit. We do that by being in the Word, by being with God's people, by fasting and praying and refocusing our attention. One of the things this fast and prayer will do for you if you've been active in it, is it simply refocuses your attention. It puts your attention back on the Lord. And you realize you have more time to give to the Lord than you thought, more brain space to give to the Lord than you thought. Now you've, lit, you've left more space for God to speak into your life than you thought you had. And all of a sudden, a byproduct of all those practices is that I'm energized by the Spirit. And I live in that reality. And so that's what we want for us. Don't be slothful in zeal. Genuine love is not lazy. It's not slothful. And genuine love is empowered and energized by the Spirit. Genuine love doesn't do anything halfway. It's excited about it. Imagine if someone came and gave you a gift and did it halfway. And they were like, man, that's, here's this, I, don't know, I don't know. I mean, you're okay, I guess. Like, I, I, you know, sometimes you're nice. So here it is. Like, I, I put a little bit of time and effort, but I really just ran to the store a few minutes ago. I didn't really think about it uh, until now. Uh, but I really love you. Here you go. You know, I appreciate you so much. Here you go. We'd be like, nah, man, I don't even want that. Get that out of here. And that's so often what we do to the Lord, right? We just don't prepare. We don't think. We don't give it our full selves. We give him something and present something to him, but we give it halfway. And let's be a people who put the pedal to the metal. Once again, not relying on our own strength, our own abilities, our own discipline, our own gifts, but doing so empowered by the Holy Spirit and having habits and practices that enable us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So number eight, genuine love, a simple description, will serve the Lord. This is your eighth command, serve the Lord. Now, this one's important. This one's important because so often we try to do this part without the first seven ones. So we just think, I ought to serve the Lord, so let's go serve the Lord. And I just jump into it and I try to do what I feel capable of doing. But I haven't sought after any type of genuine affection for other people. 
As I'm serving, I haven't sought to show honor to other people. I haven't asked God that my love would be genuine. I haven't clarified what's good and wrong. My love doesn't have a moral compass. I'm trying to serve, but there's nothing behind it. There's nothing empowering it. I skip the first seven things, and I try to show up on Sunday, show up on Saturday, show up at this service thing, at this lighthouse, at this event, and I try to serve the Lord. And then I find myself being unmotivated, being ungrateful for the opportunity, being burnt out from trying to do more things. All the while, what I've done is I've skipped the first seven things. And I've tried to just serve the Lord. And so often, that's where we're going to fall short. If we seek to serve the Lord without genuine love, we're going to be hypocrites. You may be serving, but you're a hypocrite. If we seek to serve the Lord without hating what is evil, we're going to be sentimentalists. It's just feelings. Whatever feels good, that's love. If we seek to serve the Lord without holding fast to good, we'll be aimless. We'll have no direction. Just doing things. If we seek to serve the Lord without showing honors to others, we'll be selfish. If we seek to serve the Lord without zeal, we'll burn out. And if we seek to serve the Lord without the Spirit, we'll be powerless. So do you hear about Let's see that again. If we seek to serve the Lord without genuine love, we'll be hypocrites. If we seek to serve the Lord without hating what is evil, we'll be sentimentalists. If we seek to serve the Lord without holding fast to what is good, we'll be aimless. If we seek to serve the Lord without showing honors to others, we'll be selfish. If we seek to serve the Lord without zeal, we'll burn out. And if we seek to serve the Lord without the Spirit, we'll be powerless. We have to serve the Lord, but we have to have the background and the preparation to be able to do it the Lord's way. And these are things we ask. These are things that are not manufactured in a moment. It's a lifestyle of choices that creates genuine love. It's a lifestyle of being in God's word that gives clarity of what's evil and good. It's a lifestyle of these that creates these realities. These are things we pursue. And so often, many of you in your attempt to be a good Christian have tried to serve the Lord, but you skip the first seven things. And your service has been frustrating, has led to burnout, and it hasn't been spiritually rejuvenating for you or helpful for others. So as we serve the Lord, let's fill it with the seven things that were come previous to that. So we seek to serve the Lord. I was thinking about this. My kids have this little track thing. It's called Magic Tracks. Anybody know what Magic Tracks are? I'm just living in my own little world, I guess. <laughs> Anybody? Yeah, I go to Chipotle. Yeah, okay, it's okay. All right. I know more of y'all go to Chipotle. So, okay, we're just inactive, right? Y'all are just lying. A bunch of liars out here. That's somewhere in here. Don't lie. Okay, so uh, magic tracks are this magic little track that you can have with your kids where the uh, car has a button and it just automatically goes on this track. You don't have to direct it or whatever. You set up the track and it has this thing and it lights up. It goes and it glows in the dark and whatever. And so we recently got some more of these for our kids. You can set them up real long and you can make these big whatever train things and then you put batteries in the magic track but you hit the button and off it goes and it just makes its own way. You don't have to direct it or anything like that. It's a magic track. It looks like magic because you don't have to do anything except the the parent has to do a million things to get it to work in the first place, right? So, and if it doesn't have batteries, it doesn't work. It's a magic track. You have to get the car on the right track, and you have to hit the button to get it going. But once you do those things, it goes on its own. Now, two things I've noticed about the magic tracks, right, are the batteries run out pretty quickly, and you have to replace them because my kids forget to turn them off. So when they're done playing with them, they leave them on for the next, you know, 36 hours, and all the batteries are gone, and that doesn't work. Also, the magic track... The car has to be on the track for it to work. So you can hit the button and the car will go, but it will be completely aimless because it hasn't found its way on the track. 
And if it's on the track, eventually if you don't keep up with it, it'll run out of power. But if you put it on the track and you keep up with it, all you got to do is push a button. You see what I'm saying? This is true for our walk with Jesus. The track has already been built for us. He did all the work. He built the car. He did everything necessary. You don't have to do that either. And he's created it in a way where you simply just push a button where you do the thing that the Lord has asked you to do, the practice that enables you to move and to work. And then you just go. And it, it aims perfect. You don't have to figure out what is God's will for my life or you know, don't, and wonder where to go and what to do. No, I'm just serving the Lord. I'm on a track already made by God. And therefore, I'm going around and around and around. I'm going the direction I need to go without much effort at that point. I'm still working hard, obviously, to get the point. But what I want you to think about, A, is when you try to hit the button and serve, but you're not on the track, you're going to you're gonna go everywhere. you got to be on the track the Lord has already made and designed for you. On the track the Lord's laid out in front of you. You can't just do it however you want to do it. And secondly, if you don't keep up with it, eventually the batteries will die and the button won't work. And you'll try to just show up and just serve the Lord. And you try to hit that genuine love button and it's not there. There's no power. So even though you're on the track and you did show up at church, you can't express what God wants you to express because you haven't prepared. You haven't lived the lifestyle that God wants you to live. You haven't kept up with God's investment in you. And through time in the Word, through being with God's people, through service and all these things we've been talking about that we know in the Word, these are ways that you keep up with God has given you. These are ways you grow in the first seven things. So when you show up and it's time to hit the button and serve the Lord, it works. And you're heading in the right direction with all the energy and power you need. But if you don't keep up with it, you're going to run out of batteries. And if you don't put it on the track, you're going to shoot it the wrong way and use your investment another way. Some of you have used your skill sets, which are amazing, to further every kingdom but God's. To advance every cause but the Lord's. And you hit that button, you got lots of energy, but you're not on the track. So I want you to think about it this way. Think about serve the Lord. We need to get on the track. We need to prepare and be ready. And then the Lord uses us and puts us in the right direction. Okay, so 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. Let's just read these. As you serve the Lord, here are some characteristics, some more of that. We rejoice in hope. Meaning we don't rejoice, you know, in the current reality or how easy it is or how it may feel. We rejoice in hope. What Jesus has done for us and what he's promised to us. We are patient in tribulation. We're ready for hard times. We're constant in prayer. We contribute to the needs of the saints. We seek to show hospitality. Real love, as we see, takes action. And here's some more characteristics of that. So, real humility is powerful. Real love takes action. Real humility is powerful. The central word in this section, 14 through 21, is humility. Turn to your neighbor and say, be humble. Say it like you mean it. Be humble. Be humble. Humble yourself. There you go. Say it however you want to say it. Be humble. Humility is going to be the essential, essential ingredient in us living out the call that God has in our lives. So, what are some aspects of humility? The, right, the false conception of love is that it's feeling-based. It doesn't necessarily require action. So, real love actually takes action. And now, a false idea of humility is that it's powerless. That humility means I'm a pushover. That humility means I don't get things done. That humility means I don't have power. And Jesus wants to flip the script on you and say, no, real humility is powerful. Real love takes action. So how does humility exercise its power? Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And we said this last week, you bless, not tolerate. The word is not tolerate. That's the word we would pick. If I'm going to deal with my enemies and I tolerate them, then that's enough. 
I didn't curse them. I didn't say something back on, on Twitter, back at them. I didn't get into an argument on social media. I didn't. I just let it go. I tolerated it. No, that's not what God says. Right? That would be our definition of love. I tolerate you. You're an idiot, and I tolerate you. That would be, I'd feel really good about myself if I did that, you know? What does God say? Nope. Bless. Bless. Give your very best self to that person. Think about how you can do good to them. Spend time, energy, and effort on seeing how you can bless them. And humility has to be there, otherwise this won't work. So one of the ways the Lord might be leading you to lay down your life as a living sacrifice is to think about those in your life that may be causing you difficulty and problems. They might be family members, a boss, or whatever, and think about how you can bless them. And that's a word probably for some of you very important, that the Lord wants you to leave from here and offer to the Lord your feelings and your grudges and your burdens and your pain and leave it with Him. So now you're free to go bless. You're free to bless. And the way you're going to live out 2020 is to bless instead of begrudge. The way you're going to offer your life to a living sacrifice is to intentionally bless those who have not been good to you. So we bless. We don't just tolerate. Verses uh, uh, number 15, 16, 17, 18 of commands. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We live in harmony with one another. We are not haughty, but we associate with the lowly, and we're never wise in our own sight. So what does humility look like? Well, humility looks like a thing that creates harmony. Humility is powerful because it creates harmony. Get this, write this down. If we act in humility, we will live in harmony. If we act in humility, we will live in harmony. Harmony with each other is a byproduct of humility in myself. Harmony is not a byproduct of necessarily a choice I'm making in the moment to be something I'm not and to try to have enough willpower to do that as many times as I need to do. Humility is the essential ingredient, what God does in you, that creates harmony in the body. So that when we show up humble, we can be harmonious. If we act in humility, we will live in harmony. And each one of us, as we pursue humility, will create harmony in the body. Real humility is powerful. I love uh, number 17, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Another translation I read said this, and I've taken this to heart. Do not be too ambitious to take humble tasks. This is a good one. Don't be too ambitious to take humble tasks. And we talked about it last week when you think you just have a little teaspoon of vanilla, right? You don't have much to offer to the Lord. You feel like other people are bringing more. They have more to give, more gifts. They're more seen, more known, or whatever. You just have a little bit. And the, 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 the sentence was, don't despise your assignment. Don't despise your assignment. And sometimes we do that because we're too wise on our own side. We're too ambitious to do great things that we're not willing to do little things. And if everybody shows up in a room ambitious to do great things, neither great things nor little things get done. Because it's the little things that create the great things. So don't be too ambitious in 2020 to take humble tasks. To take tasks that only get noticed by the Lord. Tasks that are hard to even see how they move the thing forward, but you know are necessary. Tasks that don't get noticed by even your peers. Humble tasks. Tasks that are not respected, tasks that are not looked down on, or that are not looked up to but looked down on. Pursue these kinds of things. Let's be a people who are not too ambitious to take humble tasks. And let's never be wise in our own sight. So, back to our enemies as we close this out. Verses 19 and 20, I mean number 19 and 20. Uh, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Give thought to do what is honorable. 
The other day I was at CVS and I've never experienced this before in my life. I was standing in line and the kid that was checking out, he was probably 17 or something, uh, and he had a bag of Cheetos. And he was just eating those Cheetos, just going all in as he was checking people out. So he would like take their card with one hand and no, this is no lie, just have a bunch of Cheetos and ha, and I'm, you know, and he's wiping, he's wiping them off on his shirt. His shirt, it looks like a Cheeto. I mean, he's been doing this for several minutes, obviously at this point, and he's just ha, and he can't even ask the question he needs to ask. Or everything go okay for, you know, like, do you need anything else or whatever? And he's just mumbling his way through it. It is not affecting him at all. He has no concept that this might not be appropriate workplace behavior. And literally, he'll do one, swipe, Give him the thing. Before I walk up, he's like, and he's got this, and just right in front of my face. And he's just, it's one of those, it's not even like he takes one and he puts it in. You know, that would be one thing. He just, a handful, he just shoves it in his mouth until they get in there. And then he's chewing it. He's just like, wait, wait, wait. Hey, how's it going? How can I help you, you know? I'm like, what is happening right now? I mean, I respect the confidence, bro. I respect the confidence. You must uh, not take a look about this. And uh, I watched him just keep doing that. The, the whole time I was there, it was hilarious. Uh, I thought about this verse as I was preparing my sermon. We, we uh, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Now we think about how what we are doing comes across. How is what I'm doing showing honor? What is how, what, how is what I'm saying coming across to that person? What is honorable to them? How can I give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all? Not just show up, not just do what I want to do, but give thought. Number 20, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. This is the verse I always tell people more than Psalm, Psalm 16, 11 was the first verse. This is the second one, Romans, uh, Romans 12, 19, that I use more in ministry context than any other. So many issues, interpersonal issues, family issues, whatever. It was always coming back to this. Have you done everything you can do to be at peace? And there's this cool thing about it where you do everything you can to be at peace with others. And then you should be at peace with the fact that you won't always be at peace with others. But the first thing is required. How, here's a question for us. This is your, maybe your 2020 sacrifice. Have I done absolutely everything I can to be at peace with those in my life? Everything I can. Everything. Have I thought before the Lord, have I done everything I could possibly think to do to bless them and to be at peace with them? And then if so, and peace still doesn't remain, I can be at peace with that. He says, as far as it depends on you. So you don't control the outcome, but you control what you do. So the question for you and me is, have I done everything absolutely that I can to be at peace with those in my life? That's number 20. Number 21. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. It is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That's a big one. It goes like this. To the contrary, number 22, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. So once again, we bless, we don't tolerate. We don't try to get ours, we leave it to the Lord. One of the things I've always had to learn, I'm super defensive, you know, in marriage arguments or whatever, I get defensive. And one of the first things that my wife will teach me that I say that comes out of my mouth when she says something to me is, you're the one. She'll say something to me, and then I'll say, you're the one. And I'll flip it back around, you know, all right? Your pastor has issues too, okay? I hope you're aware of that. Um, but I do try my best. I hope I'm a good example, but I have issues myself. And I'll say, you're the one, you're the one. And I've had to learn to, like, kill those words. I'm not even that good at it still, but at least I'm aware. She's helped me be aware that you're the one. 
and I get defensive and I flip it back. And one of the things that you need to learn in marriage and in life is it's not up to you to get it. Never avenge yourself, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. If justice needs to be done, the Lord will do it. He might use you in it in certain ways. Obviously, we pursue justice in the world. The Lord uses this church to do justice in this city. Amen to that. But if somebody wrongs you, it's not up to you to get it back. Maybe 2020 for you is you just let these things go. You trust the Lord to execute vengeance. You trust the Lord to defend you if that's what needs to be done. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So you feed them, you give them something to drink. So finally, the last, the 24 and 25, we don't overcome by evil, but we overcome evil with good. The result of love and humility in action is a supernatural power to overcome evil. The result of love and humility in action is a supernatural power to overcome evil. So if I act in love and act in humility and we do that day in and day out and I'm pursuing these qualities with the Lord, slowly but surely city light as a body will overcome the evil around us by the power of the Spirit. If we show up like this every day in every way, laying our life down as a sacrifice to the Lord in both small and great things and practical things and big theological things, we do that day in and day out. Slowly but surely, this body will push back the darkness around us. But if we don't do these things and simply try to serve the Lord, we will have no power. We will not overcome much evil. And so part of the reason you came here to be with us and to be in the life of this church is to make a difference in the world around you. This is your role to play. To be this kind of person, to pursue these kinds of things. As we act in love and act in humility, we will have supernatural power to overcome evil. And that's one of the things we're primarily here to do. So do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't despise your assignment. We do this every day in little ways, but I do want to remind you that there was one person who didn't do this every day in little ways, who did it in one grand moment. There was one person who lived a perfect life, and he certainly did that every day in every way, but his death and resurrection in three days covers our sins. His great moment of victory gives us victory over the grave. There was one person who overcame evil in one punch, and his name is Jesus. And it's that person who we follow. It's that person this church is all about. And it's that person that you need as your Savior. So for those of you who go and pursue this as Christians who follow the Lord, remember you're following the one who sucker punched evil, the one who beat it with death and, the, and victory in the grave, the one who died and rose again for you. And as you seek to obey, be empowered by his love for you. Remember what he has done for you. It's not about what you do, but what's already been done. And for those of you in the room who want to do justice in the world and want to do good things and change the world around you, there's only one person that can change the world. His name is Jesus. Hey, you guys. One person. One person that can change the world. His name is Jesus. There's only one Savior. We've even, I've had this conversation with people, even as a, as a leader of the church, is that there's only one Savior. It's not Nate Crew, it's Jesus. I cannot, absolutely cannot, fix every problem or do everything. Neither can you, neither can we as a church. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. And so I'm begging you and pleading with you, those of you in the room today that haven't trusted in, repented from your sin, and followed Jesus, today is the day. He brought you here to hear that good news. And for those of you that leave from here and try to give your lives over to the Lord as a living sacrifice, remember, everything that needs to be done has already been done. And as you pursue overcoming evil, you do so empowered by the one who did it already himself. So will not you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that you have overcome death and evil and the grave.
that you are not powerless, Lord, that your humility exercised the greatest power we've ever seen. In your humility to lay down your life, you rose again and conquered death and sin in the grave, Lord. And we worship you and we praise you. We give you thanks and glory. We love you. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help that to sink in for each one of us. That's the power that we access to live out these 25 commandments. And I just pray you would make us a body that overcomes evil with good, that makes a difference in the world around us because we're empowered by Jesus and presenting Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for every person in the room that you would lead us. What does offering our life as a living sacrifice look like this year? Give us something. Give us a word from you based on your scriptures to lead and guide each one of us in our decisions of what this looks like practically for us, Lord. So we offer this time of response to you. May you work greatly in it. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. amen.